I hope uh, you all listen up closely today because we have uh, a crisis that needs to be addressed. Many men lack clarity be clarity about what it truly means to be a man. It's interesting, some of you have, have gone to, uh, through that series, Stepping Up With Me. If you haven't, I'll be happy to do it with you. But it's, it's a manhood series done by Family Life Ministries, highly recommended. But it, they ask the question, what is a man? and How do you know when you get there? Very interesting responses from a lot of guys. Uh, some don't know how to answer that, and some, many more, give wrong answers. And, and as a result of this, uh, many men are in a state of confusion. The, the culture's in a state of confusion. Now, there's a lot of things to blame for that. Uh, feminism's just one of the many at fault here. Feminism's, you know, pushing this whole equality thing amongst the genders. But they need to, as we studied in Genesis, may I remind you, we need, we need to remember there, there is equality in our personhood, male and female. The Bible says God made us male and female. So there is equality in, in our persons. Before God, we're equal, but we're different in function. We're not the same. So if we try to push everybody to be the same, then you, you just ended up with a mess and confusion. And because there's this confusion, a lot of... Men are just uh, disappointed with life, and they find themselves lonely. They're drifting, don't know what a man is, don't know how to get there. They're comparing, they're competing. Uh, A lot of people are focused on trying to just keep up with everybody else, comparing ourselves amongst each other. The Bible says it's unwise. And too many guys don't, don't know how to answer this question, who am I as a man? Ladies, you need to help out here. You need to know what a man is. You need to know how to help in this way. Don't push men into this state of confusion. Okay, This is why you need to know what this is. And you, you single ladies, you need to know what this is. You need to know, look for this. <laughs> look for this. You know what a real man is. So, we need to have a manhood vision. We need to have a manhood vision that is that is greater than the world's model of manhood. So I've got five B's for you to think about that uh, a couple of these I got off uh, the Stepping Up Manhood series. And then uh, several of them have just come up with myself here. But they all start with the word B. <clears throat> now some guys, they or, or even ladies, they think, well, a real man is, is uh, you know, it all has to do with the bed, Right? The bed, you know, ladies' man, the big man on campus, right? I mean, how is he with the ladies? You know, that that determines if you're a real man. Now, uh, Sean Johnson of the Warriors was voted one of the sexiest men in New Zealand, and so you know, some some people think, well, that determines if you're a real man. You make the 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 top ten list of sexiest men, then you're a real man. Some people think, well, how are you on the ball field or the sports field, right? If if you're if you're good in sports playing, you know, any kind of ball sport, rugby or whatever it is, then that makes you a real man. And, of course, the All Blacks are pretty much idolized in New Zealand, aren't they? Richie McCaw was an excellent rugby player and an excellent captain of the All Blacks. And he is is idolized by many, looked up to by many as a a real man. And then uh, a third option to... To consider for some is uh, your your bank account. 
right? You know, the size of your bank account, well, well, you know, if your bank account's really big, then you're considered a real man. Do you know who the richest man in New Zealand is? Not you, not me either, no one in this room. Pictures on the screen, you know who that is? That's Graham Hart, net worth $9 billion. And do you know who the richest man in the world is at the moment? Jeff Bezos, who passed Bill Gates. Uh, you say, well, who's that? Um, he, well, I th- what is he, the CEO of Amazon, I think. Considered the richest person in the entire world. Uh, his worth is $100 billion. Unbelievable, is it? But so, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people look at him. Oh man, that's what I want to be. Right? And then there's others that say, well, you know, if you're, you got this really, if you get brains, yeah, if your brains, you know, you're really brainy, high IQ, so to speak. Well, then that that makes you a real man. And then the last B is uh, body, body. Somebody, somebody said, I just, I, I saw it just a couple weeks ago. If, uh, if we didn't care about our bodies, the whole U.S. economy would collapse, right? It probably would. It'd probably be the same here in New Zealand. If you know, if you and everyone else didn't care about how they looked and and were content with the way God made them, yeah, our economy would probably collapse too. You know, we stopped buying Botox and cosmetics and everything else, right? We'd Wow, what would happen? But uh, Jason Woods has won the uh, New Zealand Strongman title the last four years. The guy is amazing, and a lot of guys look at him, and ladies are like, oh, man, I'd like to be married to him, and nice big muscles, and what an amazing dude. I mean, he, after all, he's, he's able to deadlift 300 kilos. He can squat 260 kilos, and he can lift heavy rocks without a digger. <laughs> comes in handy right ladies maybe you can't afford a digger but you can marry a guy who can lift the rocks for you no 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 i hope i hope the point the, hope you can look beyond these things like you know how, how is this guy in the bed how you know is, how's he on the sports field you know what's his bank account light or his brains or his body and by the way if you notice when people go to the gym the fitness center's Notice how many mirrors are there? I don't. I don't go to the gym, but I don't want to look in the mirrors. I have to look in one every morning. And fortunately, it only gets you know this part from the. That's enough to look at, right? Why, why do they put all the mirrors in those fitness centers? What, what are the guys doing? They're like, they're looking at the mirrors. They're not looking at other people usually, right? They're see how big my own muscles are. They care about the the, the body spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on it and and that's the world's idea of manhood and we could add to that list but we need to understand the first step here to regaining a true understanding of masculinity is to acknowledge that man's wisdom is often misleading misleading and often wrong for example here's what the bible says about our personal opinions proverbs 14 12 says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You think you're doing the right thing, you're on the right path. This is, oh man, the end result's going to be great. This is what I want. And, and then, oh wow, that's not what I wanted. Eee, the end to death. 
So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, you've probably heard this before, but don't look at the modern dictionaries for the solution. Modern dictionaries are often wrong, by the way. For example, the uh, Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary just adds to the confusion with their definition on the word masculine. Uh, The first definition is not helpful to me at all. It just says male. Right, so masculine means male. Great. The, the second definition in the dictionary says, well, having qualities appropriate to or usually associated with a man. I love that part, usually. Usually associated with... Oh, I don't know. I, I, need a diction, I need another dictionary to define this dictionary for me. You see the confusion here. Not helpful. What we need is actually something that is clear, something that's absolute. It's not based on my opinions like the dictionary is. And, of course, the only place you and I will find that is in God's Word, in Scripture, in, in the Bible. And so, we need to renew our minds, according to Romans 12, too, in the Scriptures, to find out what, what does God actually think. We need a model that is clear and absolute. There's some helpful books out there. If you want to read them, I've, I've got these in my library. For example, there's a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood that uh, gives me a helpful definition. It says this, quote, At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. End quote. See, there's like differing relationships. For example, there's there's single guys in here. Their their relationship with women is going to be different from my relationship as a married man, right? So you you're not in the same stage of life. So just bear that in mind. Whatever stage of life God has put you in, you need to live in that stage appropriately. Another definition I found helpful was Stuart Scott in uh, his book called Biblical Manhood. He said this, that masculinity is this possession and pursuit of redeemed perspective and character, enhanced by qualities consistent with the distinguishing male roles of leading, loving, protecting, and providing, all for the glory of God. course the glory of God applies to everybody doesn't that's why we do everything it's all for the glory of God so don't lose sight of that now I'm going to I'm going to take some of those uh, aspects you've seen in both those definitions and I'm going to add a few others but uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about here okay so the manhood vision is far greater than just seven points but lest you try to drink out of a waterfall or a fire hydrant here I'm just going to just uh just give you seven, sorry, seven points to consider. Okay, seven. What is a real man? What is a biblical man? What is the model we see in the Bible? Well, by the way, the ultimate man is Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, may I suggest look to him, uh, not to the first Adam. We're going to mention him, but <laughs> look to the second Adam, Jesus Christ, ultimately. But we can learn some things from the first Adam here, and we see that uh, God had originally designed men to be 
leaders, and he still has designed men to be leaders. And we see here in, in Genesis, that's the way it was from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, God has placed man in a garden. He gives him specific instructions. What was Adam to do in the garden? He wasn't supposed to just sit there playing video games and watching the telly. Right? He, he was actually given work to do. That's the way God designed us. So look what uh, Genesis 2.15 says. If you don't have a Bible, I've got some, some of the scriptures on the screen here. But Genesis 2.15 in your Bible says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to two things, two, two instructions, work and keep. Work in the garden and keep the garden. He's made in God's image, and he's supposed to do what God has designed him to do. That's the way it is at the beginning here. And, and by the way, Adam was given charge of the garden here, not because he's better than God at doing that, but of course God could have done a far better job, but this is the instruction that God gives him. He's given this authority, this, this rule, and this dominion. Adam was also given dominion over the animals. So that shows you a hierarchy. Animals are not equal with man. We are over the animals, and that's why you're allowed to eat them, by the way. But uh, look what chapter 1, verse 28 says. Chapter 1, verse 28, it says that God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed, that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So not just the animals, of course, but God's given man dominion even over the plants themselves. So Adam's given these tasks. And by the way, notice this is all done before God even brought Eve. Eve hasn't even been created yet. So clearly the, the man is, is the leader here. And so when God placed Eve in the garden, Eve comes along a little later here, uh, it's, it's pretty clear she's, she's there to assist Adam in the work. She's not coming to be the leader. She's to be the helper. Just look at chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18 in your Bible says that the Lord God said this, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So who's supposed to do the leading here? Adam's supposed to be the leader. She's supposed to be helping Adam do this instruction that God had given, which is what? To work and to keep the garden, keep his environment. Well, we've already studied this passage. You, you know how Adam did, right? How did he do it as we working and keeping and leading of his wife? Well, we see that he was actually passive. Instead of leading, he's passive. He's, 
He's not taking on this responsibility that God's given to him. He's not leading courageously because look at chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, saw that that tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Sad, sad. He's, he's passive. He's there somewhere around because she's able to give him the fruit and he sins. And by the way, he's held accountable. You read your New Testament. He's held accountable as the head. The Bible says Eve was deceived. He knew better. He sins. He's not leading as he should. Well, in Scripture, we see that God has given leadership to, to men in, in two institutions that God has made. First of all, men are to lead in the home. This is the first home here in Genesis. Men are supposed to be the leaders. Husbands are to be the head in the marriage relationship, not because we're better, just, again, equal in person, different in function. It needs to be a leader. Women, the Bible says, are commanded to submit to the husband's leadership. We read in Ephesians 5, right? Husbands, love your wives. The females, they're supposed to submit. But we also see that men are to lead in the church. Men are to lead in the church. Look at 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. Now this is, I know, a highly controversial one in our day today because we're, we're messed up on uh, this whole equality thing. We don't understand. Equal in person, different in function. So therefore, if we're all equal, then uh, so there's this big push in, in a lot of churches to have uh, female leaders in the church. But look what the Bible says, 1 Timothy 2. This, this whole book was written so we know how to behave in the household of God. Right? How do you behave in the church? Well, here, look at uh, 1 Timothy 2.11. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, why? Look at this. It goes back to Genesis. It goes back to Genesis. Look, look at Equal in person, different in function. Verse 13 says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, and if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So who's the leader here? The Bible says the leader is the male. Males are supposed to be leaders. Now, there's some qualities you need to consider as, uh, ladies, as you look for a man to be a leader, these, these are some qualities you want to look for. Men, these are the qualities you, you need to possess, you need to pray for, you need to seek. And by the way, a lot of these things you'll, you'll find in the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus. Those are, uh, by the way, those are things that all males should strive for. All males should strive for those character qualities you see in 
in the qualifications for elders. But just some things to think about. Men, we need God's wisdom. We, we need to know how to apply knowledge to, to everyday living. We need to know how to apply that in, in, in our work environment, our home environment, with how do we relate to people and so forth. How, we need wisdom. I hope you're praying for that. It's, it's a wise thing to do. It's something I, one of the things I pray for the most because I, I know I'm lacking in, too often in wisdom. Don't know what to do in all situations. Leaders need to know. Because leaders need to, the second one, you need to take initiative. You need to take initiative. Don't, don't expect other people to do that. Leaders are the ones that are taking the initiative. They're the ones providing the, the vision. They're the ones... Uh, saying, here's the goal. Hey, let's, let's go. Here, that's... Leaders also need, need to be decisive. We need to be decisive. Ladies, uh, if you're married, uh, allow your husband to be decisive. <laughs> okay. There can be a lot of struggles in homes. There's, there's this continuous conflict over, mm, it's really hard, I know. My wife lives with a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. She knows I'm a sinner. I'm not like Christ yet. It's a long process working toward that. <laughs> Hopefully I'm, I am being conformed to the image of Christ. I know he who began a good work in me is going to complete it, but I'm not glorified yet. And so that's, that's, that's hard, two, two sinners coming together, butting heads. Uh, of course there's going to be conflict. But there needs to be some decisiveness. Uh, just let me just give you one example. Uh, one time we, we we found ourselves in our home. There was someone in our home doing too much chatting with a boy on the internet. And once I realized what was going on, I'm like, "Ooh, boy, this this train is going really fast down the tracks. It's not where I thought it was." And uh, I, I I should have been more involved, to, to be quite honest. That's one of the problems. Should have been more involved. Wasn't really paying attention to what all my children were doing. How can you? I'm not God. But, but once I did, of course, I consulted my wife. I had a chat with my, my child. And I needed to be de- decisive because I knew my, my daughter wasn't going to like making a decisive decision here. And then my wife wasn't even sure exactly what to do. She gave me. She always gives me helpful advice, and I, I do try to listen to that. But, um, right, not everybody is is God, of course, and so we we can be wrong in our our thoughts, our opinions, and there needed to be a decision. I made a decision. It was a very hard decision, and uh, people didn't like me for that. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. But leaders need to be decisive. And, and by the way, looking back now, we all recognize it was the right decision to cut back the chatting on the Internet. Um, everybody involved in the situation realized that was the, the right decision. And so as leaders, men, you need to be decisive. Don't sit on the fence. Not a good place to be. We also need humility. As we lead, we need to be humble. Uh, you need to recognize you don't know everything. Okay, 
humble person is going to recognize they don't know everything. They don't know. They don't have all wisdom. They don't have all power. They are not omnipresent. They don't know all things and so forth. Right. So humility is going to 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 help you not be a monster. But you also need courage. Courage is doing the right thing, even though you might have fear, even though it's uncomfortable. See, sometimes we look at soldiers in battle and say, wow, that guy has, man, how did he, how did he do that in, in battle and do things with bullets and bombs and everything else going on, people trying to kill him? The, the guy did, did amazing things in battle. How did he do that? Well, it wasn't because he didn't have fear. And it's that way in, in life. We all have fears. We've got to face those fears. Do what's right, even though it's uncomfortable, even though you, man, you just may not just want to do it. You might have to receive some, someone yelling at you. You might have to do the uncomfortable thing. It might cost you some money, which you don't want to spend, right? Whatever it is. But courage is going to do the right thing. The other thing a leader needs is he needs to be personally involved. A leader shouldn't be like Adam, kind of just standing there passively, watching his wife listen to a talking snake. A little close to that tree of, of knowledge of good and evil over there, aren't you, honey? You know, God said, uh, don't eat of that tree, right? You, you know, that's the tree that God told us, don't eat it. No, he's just standing there. Eve's talking to the snake right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the, the snake's trying to get it, her to eat it, and he's passive. He's not leading. A leader gets involved. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what uh, you know exactly what that would have looked like in that situation, but Adam should have done something. <laughs> should have got involved in the situation, help his wife out. That's what leaders do. They lead. Number two, real men are providers. Real men are providers. See, the Bible says husbands and fathers are specifically given this role of provider. Because look what it says here, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he, notice male, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa. Unbelievers know they're responsible to put the bread on the table, so to speak, right? They know that that's a male responsibility. Well, shouldn't we as God's children know this as well? Of course, yes. So that means men should seek to meet the true needs of those whom God has placed in their care. You're to be the provider. And by the way, this provision goes for at least in two ways. Ladies, you need to help your men, help your your siblings, help your your family members, help the guy you might marry, help the one you are married to, to understand these and, and work toward this. But men, we are to provide physically for those whom we love. Provide for the, the children. Provide for 
woman. Uh, that that means uh, <laughs> one I one I'm often reminded of. Uh, if there's a noise in the house, this is one example, right? If there's a noise in the house, some some strange noise, would I would I be a a, a loving husband who's leading and providing if I try kicking my wife out of bed and say, oh honey, uh, just grab the spear on the wall there and you go you go check out the noise in the house, right? Is that what is that what I should do? I hope I've never done that. Um, now it's 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 my job, it's my job to go check out the strange noise. Is there an intruder, or you know, I I'm supposed to put my body on the line here to provide for my family, to look after them, provide for their physical needs. I, I'm supposed to help put the food on the table. I'm supposed to give them a roof over their head. I'm supposed to get them the clothes. It, that's primarily my responsibility, and of course, my wife is a great helper in that way. God's designed her to do that but I'm also supposed to provide for spiritual needs of those whom I love. Not just the physical needs. So, and by the way, single people, those whom you love, you need to look after the spiritual needs of them as well. You single guys, are are you caring about, for example, your sibling? Your sisters? Do you care about, you know, it used to be kind of the normal thing. You you go off to school, and, and the, uh, the, the male sibling in the family looks after his sisters. You know, if there's bullies on the playground, big brother steps in, and he deals with the bullies. You're not picking on my sister. You have to deal with me. You're going through me. <laughs> right? So are you, you looking after your siblings' physical needs as well as spiritual needs? You're looking after your mothers, your your aunties, you know, the list goes on and on. You're, so if, even if you're single, you have great responsibility to provide for physical as well as spiritual needs. And you can be 14 years old and do this. And so in order to fulfill this role, a truly masculine man needs to be a hard worker. Not lazy. He needs to be a hard worker. You need to be personally involved. And you need to be a servant because... That means you're going to have to give of yourself. You can't just do what you want to do. So that means sometimes, for example, I have to get off the couch, go do some work. And even, and even when I don't feel like it sometimes, I have to get off the couch and go do some work. And it, it can be very uncomfortable. It can be hard. Uh, that means uh, you might have to give up a hobby maybe. To, to provide for your loved ones. That's what a servant does, does, does what they need to do. And, and he was going to do all of that. Hopefully you can acquire a good job that's going to allow you to care well for those whom you love. So let me ask you, my friends, are you caring for physical needs? You single guys, are you caring? Are you looking after... Women and children, caring for their physical needs. You caring for spiritual needs, guys? Are you you just kind of passively sitting back? This is a hard one. I know you start digging into people's hearts, asking questions. Say, you know, how how you how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with people? You start digging into, and uh, you can get some pushback, can't you? 
But that's your responsibility. You're to provide. Number three, you can turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 for this one. First Corinthians 16 has right in the in the middle here very interesting verse it talks about men so I want to use this phrase and then use the phrases around it help us understand what is a real man First Corinthians 16 verse 13 says be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men be strong let all that you do be done in love very helpful phrases there. That that helps us to have a manhood vision. And and the first one is is right there in the, in the middle. It says real men behave like men. <laughs> real men behave like men. Now the the basic idea of what that's saying is men be mature. Be mature. Be what God designed you to be. That's uh, by the way, this is a present tense verb. When it when it says act like men means you're to continually act like and behave like a man. It's not a one-off thing or just once in a while or, you know, when no one's watching or when everybody's watching, right? Always act like and behave like a man. It's a command as well, not an option. You, you have to do this. And so there's a few things to think about here, men. And ladies, you need to help your, your, your men around you understand this, that this means they're not to be a boy. If you behave like a man, that means you don't behave like a boy. It's interesting, the Bible, I forget the reference, but it says, you know, when I became a man, I gave up those childish ways. Yeah. <laughs> that means I don't get to, I don't get to sit at, uh, you know, the, the, the computer playing five hours of computer games. Maybe I, when I was a child... I don't get to do all those things that I used to do when I was a child. I'm, I'm no longer a boy. I got to act like a man. A man's responsible. It also means that I'm not a female. It's kind of obvious, but you know we we live in a day of confusion, don't we? What is that? I think I think they've come up with now. There's like 60 different genders or something. It's ridiculous. Sexuality is a mess. The genders are a mess. And is there any wonder everyone's in a state of confusion because? They got away from Genesis that says, God made you in his image, male and female. There's only two. That makes it really simple. <laughs> I don't need someone with a PhD to tell me, what am I? I know who I am. Because God told me. There's too many guys who don't know what they really are, or they, they're wondering, or they're listening to other people, and they're, and they're confused God says, behave like a man, don't act like a female. There should be a difference. should be talking different, acting different. And too many guys act like animals. Now, part of the problem is our worldview on this issue. Right? If you're, if you're taught that you come from animals, is it any wonder we act like animals? So your, your worldview is going to affect how you act. What you believe determines what you do. So we need to be clear on who we are, where we came from, where we're going. Real men behave like men. They're mature. 
But there's another point here, number four, that real men are protectors. Real men are protectors. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Because it says, be watchful. Some translations use the word alert, or be vigilant. Be alert, be watchful, be awake, be on guard. That's what a protector does. Again, we've got a present tense word here, and it's a command, something that you must continually do. You you never stop watching. You never stop being vigilant and alert. Always on guard. Because the enemy can attack at any point, from anywhere, in any way. So that means, guys, when you, you you're in public... Get the brain switched on in protective mode. I am here to protect others. You walk into the mall, into the grocery store, you're looking around for the enemy. They're there. You watching? Protecting? A man has to be committed to protecting women, children, and the church. That's your job, guys. It's interesting, uh, my my brother-in-law, by the way, I was just thinking of him for a moment. My brother-in-law trains United States Marines. I'm not going to mention names because it's going on the Internet, but here, but uh, in in his church, he is on protection duty. He is legally allowed a a concealed weapon, and he does it. He, he He carries a gun, and he's allowed to do that. Government allows him to do that. And he and he and another guy, they're they're watching, they're protecting the church. They're these wackos who want to come in with their machine guns and and bombs and start shooting people in churches. They're they're there to protect God's people, the vulnerable. That's the right thing to do. That's the way God designed us men. We are to be protectors of the church, uh, not just physically, but of course spiritually. You guys are to protect women physically and spiritually protect children physically spiritually there's what are what are some other things you need to protect against well one of your enemies is satan the bible says who is satan a real person by the way well being fallen angel who rebelled against god god cast him out of heaven and the bible says he describes Satan like this roaring lion walking about. He's seeking people to devour. He doesn't love you. He hates you. And he'll take you down to, to the lake of fire with him if he, if he can. Watch out. He's real. and He's alive and well. Your second enemy is this world. And, of course, the world, when you see that in 1 John 2, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. That, that's not talking about planet Earth. That, that doesn't mean destroy planet Earth and, and wreak havoc and you know, everything. No, that's not what it means, like some people think. But it's, it's talking about this world's system of values and beliefs and worldviews and philosophies. And, of course, you're going to encounter this everywhere you go. Men, you're to protect. Protect. World's advertising. You go into a bookstore. Are you protecting? Children go on the Internet. Are we protecting children from the world that's there in the Internet? Are we protecting our children from what they read? Where they go? You know, the list goes on and on and on. We are to be protectors in that way. We are to protect against temptations. Number one, protect, protect yourself and protect others. 
you've heard me say the three deep idols of the heart. These are the ones. These are the ones you really got to watch for. Watch for that idol of comfort. Watch for the idol of comfort. It's a tricky one. It's a deep one, and it's everywhere. We we don't like conflict. We don't we don't often want to do the right thing because it's it's not easy. It's hard. And comfort holds us back from doing what's right. Control's another one. Another temptation is control. There's if you're a control freak, you've got to watch this one. You think you have to be in control of everything and have your hands on the steering wheel and you can't you just you can't allow God to do the steering for you, then your deep idol is probably control. It's a serious temptation. Keep you from doing what's right. Maybe a deep idol of your heart is significance. You, you, you find your whole identity in what you do, for example. I mean, that's, that's pretty typical with guys, right? It doesn't take long. You get in a conversation with a guy, and it has happened at, even at men's retreat. So what do you do, right? I mean, that's, hey, my name is, you know, so-and-so, and what do you do? It, it gets to that really quick, usually. And our whole identity is wrapped up in what we do. And, you know, is it any wonder why so many guys commit suicide when they're fired or made redundant or whatever? Or they don't have the ability, you know, maybe they're made handicapped. And now, now I can't, I'm no, I'm no longer significant because I'm in a wheelchair. No reason to live, right? A lot of guys are that way. Signif- significance is a great idol of our hearts. We've got to guard against that temptation. Now, we're not to be wrapped up in ourselves here. We find our identity in Christ. I'm a child of God. That's far more important than where I work. doesn't matter where I work. I'm always going to be a child of God. doesn't matter which country I'm in. doesn't matter what, what ethnicity I am. That, that doesn't make up who I am. I'm a child of God, and I, my identity is in Christ. Another thing you need to protect against is false teachers. Guys, you need to be a shepherd of whatever flock God has given to you, your group of friends, your, your siblings, your family, your workmates, so forth, right? You, you got your little flock. Watch out for those, those false teachers, those wolves in sheep's clothing who want to ravage your flock. Apathy is a, a great danger we've got to watch out for. Because notice the text says, be watchful. The problem, the problem with, with guys on guard was it was always falling asleep, particularly at nighttime. Very easy to fall asleep. But you can't fall asleep. You're on duty at all times, 24-7. Don't fall asleep. It's one of the problems with our churches in New Zealand here, isn't it? The church is falling asleep. They've gone into that apathy mode that Jesus, in Revelation 2 and 3, remember there's a church there that made him sick, and he's going to throw them up out of his mouth. They made him sick. Why? They were apathetic. Watch out for this one. Number five, real men stand firm in the faith. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Again, continually stand firm in the faith. Not an option, it is a command. See, the idea is here that God wants us to persevere. He wants us to persist. Never stop persevering. Never stop standing. Don't sit down, don't lay down, don't give up. 
What are you to persevere and persist in? Notice it says you stand firm in the faith. The faith here has to do with the faith of the truth. It's the, it's the teachings of the Bible. You know what that means, men? You need to know your Bible. You, you need to read and study theology. You need to know what the Bible doctrines are. You need to be able to, to explain the, all the various doctrines and, and the various nuances that go with that. So when the heresy comes, it's pretty obvious. And then you can help other people. And you can say, oh, hey, somebody comes to you, hey, you know, I've been, uh, I've been listening to this sermon off the Internet, and, and they said this. What do you think? You know, if there's heresy there, there ought to be some serious red warning flags going off. Whoa, you listen to that? They said that? Oh, well, that's, well, here's what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says. That's actually wrong. You should be able to do that. But somebody's not standing firm, he's going to be blown about, as the Bible says, by every wind of doctrine. He's all over the place. Doesn't know what's right and wrong. That's not real man. Because a real man knows what's right and wrong, knows what God says, and is able to communicate that and help other people. Number six, real men are strong. But having said that, the text here has this in the passive voice. And passive means, I can't do this. I'm not like Jason Woods, and I can't pump enough iron to make myself strong in this way. This isn't, you know, injecting myself with steroids. No, this is allowing God to, to do this inner spiritual growth in me. Am I allowing God to do this? Real men do this. Real men allow God to work in and through them. The idea is here, be strengthened, is literally what it means. No, I can't do this. You can't do this. God has to do this work in you, because real men allow God to work in them. And to me, one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is when David fought Goliath. Remember, David was, he's just a shepherd boy, the Bible says. He's looking after his his father's sheep, sorry. His older brothers are out at battle fighting the, the Philistines, the enemy. right? So his father sends him, check up on your brothers at the battle. David comes on the scene and he sees this big, big hulking dude, right? A giant named Goliath who's mocking God and the armies of Israel. David comes on the scene and he's, he's looking at his brothers and all these other guys of Israel. What are you guys doing? David can't understand this, so he runs to the king. Nobody fighting this guy? He's mocking God. David says, hey, I'll do it. I'll take him on. And the king's like, nobody else is doing this? Why are you volunteering? David says, well, hey, I've already killed the bear. I've already killed the lion. Not because of me, not my strength. God gave me the strength to kill the lion and the bear, and God's going to give me the strength to take out Goliath, if that's what he wants. The king relents. David gets a few stones. He takes out his sling, not his big, huge machine gun or bazookas or tanks. And he's not doing any of that stuff, right? He just goes out, sling, hits the guy in the forehead, runs up, grabs his sword, cuts his head off. Done. The Philistines run off. And all of David's brothers and everybody else, whoa, how'd that boy do that? battle 
is not to the strong, but the battle is the Lord's. <laughs> God was the main actor there, not David. Too often, uh, sermons, by the way, on this, you know, they, they get, they go down rabbit trails all the time, right? Miss the main point. It's all about God, God doing what they couldn't. God is the strong one. We're the weak ones. And so real men allow God to work in and through them. He's the one who gives this inner spiritual growth. And then number seven, last one, is real men are lovers. Real men are lovers. So after all those points in verse 13, we come to 14 and it says, let all that you do be done in love. All of it. Again, continuous command here. Present tense. It's in the imperative. This this is not a one-off. It's something men are to continually do. Men are to be continually loving. Now, why is this important? Because love is is complementing and balancing all these other aspects. It's very important that we be balanced here. For example, love keeps our firmness from becoming hardness. Love, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Love keeps our strength from becoming domineering. Somebody, somebody who understands the responsibility of being a leader, for example, can become a monster. God doesn't want you to be a monster. <laughs> That, that's, that's to be tempered and to be complemented and balanced by love. Our, 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 mature, um, our maturity is going to help us to be gentle, to be considerate in all of these things. And our right doctrine can become very obnoxious. Right? You, you, you can believe the right thing, but, but go about it the whole wrong way. Man, you can just squash people with right doctrine sometimes, can't you? You ever met someone like that? You know, they get really passionate about some doctrine and they just squash you in the process. They're not gracious and loving whatsoever. They're like, what? You don't believe that? What planet are you on, dude? You know, and after you're done, you might even be feeling like, oh, I'm even questioning my salvation. The dudes attacked me so bad, right? So allow love to complement and balance your right doctrine. Those are just a few examples. And of course, who are we to love? Primarily, God says, love Him. See, guys, if we we love God, then then usually all the other things are going to sort themselves out. But Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself, because look what He says here in Matthew 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so, those of us who are married, guys, may I remind you that your your closest neighbor is your spouse. That's your number one neighbor. That's your number one neighbor. The Bible says husbands are singled out as needing to show the kind of sacrificial love that Christ showed for His church. Very high standard. That's, that's the goal. Of course, you'll never get there. But you need to have that as your goal. Look to Christ. Who is He? What did He do? That's, that's the man that we want to be. Because Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? Well, read your Bible. Read those epistles. You'll see what Christ did to love his church. He gave himself for her. He gave his all. Left heaven. Came to earth. Suffered all the, you know, being a man. Everything goes with that. Before he even got to the cross. Gave himself on the cross. Was rejected and despised by man. He's a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with our griefs. We esteemed him not, the Bible says. He humbled himself, coming in the form of man. His humanity died on that cross. He was buried, but he rose again. Praise God for what he did, and he's, he's now in heaven. But we have a great example there. And the Bible says the husbands are commanded to live with their wives in an understanding way. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Live, husbands, you live with your wives in an understanding way. So let me ask you guys, uh, how sensitive are to you, to, to the, the female needs? Do you know her needs? Do you even know what they are? Do you know her fears? Uh, and by the way, I, I've noticed these, honey, I've noticed these things can change. So uh, this is one reason I need to live with you in an understanding way, right? I need to keep close contact and, and, uh, and, and be watchful, be awake, be, be vigilant, because... Uh, you know, just because at one stage of a woman's life she's this way doesn't mean she's going to be that way her entire life. I've noticed we can change. Know those needs, know those fears, know the feelings, right? There's a lot going on there. Guys, we need, we need to become PhDs in woman psychology. And, and, and then when, once you, you think you got there, you haven't arrived yet, by the way. We, we need to keep going. <laughs> So what are the qualities that show love, though? Let let me ask you this. Do you even have a goal? Do you even have a target you're aiming at? Do you know what the target is? Love? Hmm. Yeah, I've watched a few Hollywood movies. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great definition of love. Oh, yeah, I've read a few of those romance novels that I get from the library. Yeah, that's going to really help you understand love. Not. So if you, by the way, if you're aiming at uh, nothing, you're going to hit it every time. So you need a target. If you're not aiming at a target, you're going to hit it. Have a target. This is a good target here. It's a great target, good starting point. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Of course, that applies for you ladies as well. But uh, we're, set, we're supposed to love, love females as Christ loved the church. So how are you doing? Are you praying for God to make you a real man? None of us are perfect yet. None of us are there yet. None, none of us are like Jesus Christ yet. But you need to be praying. You need to search the Scriptures and know what the target is and, and strive for that target. Let me just uh, quickly point out the, uh, and I'll end with this. We don't have time to finish today, but 
I've learned some things from uh, the study. Uh, some of you might know the study. Hamish and I have done uh, 33, Authentic Manhood, together. And it's, it's very helpful. They, they give some life stages of a man. Just think about some of these. For example, when the 0 to 20 age, uh, there's, there's some... In these various stages, let me just point this out. There, there's some unique struggles, unique dangers, unique opportunities to each one of those stages. You need to be aware of them and know how to deal with them. And so from the 0 to 20 stage, there's uh, that person in that stage is coming to terms with their identity. Hopefully they're transitioning into adulthood well, hopefully. Hopefully they've got some good mentors. Hopefully they're, they're studying and learning their Bibles so they know what who Jesus is. They know who the real man is. I'm, I'm following him. But you need to be asking, who am I? Who am I not? How has God actually designed me? Because we're all unique. God's given us different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. Right? Heaven forbid that we, we go around and, and do the cookie cutter thing. Everybody's this way. No. No, we're not. We're different. You need to find how God has designed you. So when you're 20 to 40, particularly in the 20s here, there's this danger of, per, of perpetual boyhood, getting stuck in adolescence, stuck in boy mode. Too many guys in their 20s and 30s, and some even going into their 40s now, it seems, who are, who are living in their mother's house playing video games. By the way, you single ladies... That's the kind of guy you need to run from. (laughs) Somebody in their 40s still living with their mother, not providing for the family? That's scary. Run away. You don't want him because you're going to end up being his mother if you marry that kind of a guy. The other other thing here is handling all that sexual energy that God gives to men. God's the one who designed sex. He's the one who's given the guy all those hormones. And if the guy doesn't get married, it's very difficult for him to deal with the way God made him. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled, Hebrews 13 says. The marriage bed's undefiled. But the adulterer, God's, God's going to judge that person. That fornicator, God's going to judge them. If they're, if they're not handling that sexual energy well, then... Oh, well, it goes up into all kinds of bad directions. One of the reasons pornography is such a huge issue in our culture. But the major opportunity here is you need to learn. And, and by the way, learn as much as you possibly can about everything. Be a studier of all sorts of things. Jack of all trades, master of none, maybe. But There's all kinds of questions you need to be thinking about, which I'll, I'll just skip over for the moment, but hopefully when you get into your 30s, you're going to keep growing. You, you've, hopefully you've learned a lot of things about lots of different things. You know, you know who you are. You know how God has designed you. You understand your personality. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. You, you say, you, you know, like, okay, well, I'm a people person or I'm not a people person or uh, I'm good at driving tractors or uh, I'm useless on tractors. You know, I hit every single fence in the paddock. You know, you, you, hopefully by then you're going to know things like that. You're going to know uh, I can ride a horse or I can't, or I know, uh, you know I'm good at typing or I'm useless at typing. You're right? You know, hopefully you've learned all that by now. You're growing. You're, you're using this knowledge that God has given to you, and 
hopefully you're asking a key question here of how do then do I prioritize all these demands on my life? In your 30s, you need to be prioritizing. And then when you get in your 40s to 60s here, the major danger is, uh, is uh, midlife crisis. The midlife crisis. <laughs> um, Wikipedia said that a midlife crisis is a transition of identity and self-confidence that occur in middle-aged individuals, typically 45 to 64 years old. The phenomenon is described as a psychological crisis brought about by events that highlight a person's growing age, the inevitability of their mortality, possible shortcomings of accomplishment in life, and this can produce feelings of depression, remorse, anxiety, or or the desire to achieve youthfulness or make drastic changes to my current lifestyle. And I won't ask if that's you. A good chance if you're in that 45 to 64 range, you're you're you you might have some sort of struggle going on. It's a good thing for you to talk about that, by the way. Don't hold that in, but the great opportunity here is influence. You need to become a mentor. You need to become a mentor of other people. God's given you all kinds of wisdom and experience. So if you're, if you're over 40, you need to be thinking about training others, helping others. And then when you get into your 60s and beyond, uh, hopefully you've got a lot of wisdom and experience by now. The question is, are you using it wisely? And the great danger is some of these people, they... They don't believe they can contribute anymore. I can't contribute to my family. I can't contribute in work. I can't contribute in my culture and society. They're believing a lie, by the way. Because the major opportunity here is to take advantage of your flexibility. A lot of guys during this age retire. You have a lot of responsibility. If they've had family, usually they're empty nesters. You now have great flexibility. And with that, you got great wisdom and experience and knowledge. Use it. Use it. So it doesn't matter what season of your of life you're in, my friend, you, you are called to create and to cultivate. And you're called to do that for your entire life. And may God enable you to be faithful. You know what, there's something sad here. The typical plan for, for, for the worldly man's life goes something like this. You know, he's born, he goes to school, hopefully gets a good education, and so hopefully he gets a good job, so he has a good career, he makes lots of money, and uh, then, then hopefully he, he finds a beautiful wife and has beautiful children and, and has a great family and a fun family and a, and a great life and a, and a good retirement and a good death. And if that's all life is, that's a wasted life. A lot of men follow that typical pan. And you know what happens? When you get to the end of your life, you're not going to find yourself satisfied. And it's going to be frustrating. You might get restless. You might get bored. And some guys understand there's a problem here. You mean I'm just looking forward to hopefully a good death and that's it? Oh, man, what's there's a problem here. And they don't know how to fix it. They don't know their Bibles. A lot of guys don't go to church. Some go to unhealthy churches. 
can't recognize the problem, don't know how to fix it, because they don't know their Bibles either. And there's a lot of wasted lives, and lives aren't counting for eternity. So if you're wondering what those next points are really quick, I'll just give them to you. How do you, how do you actually make your life count? Here they are. You need to live for a great cause. Live for a great cause. Something far more than having a, you know, a good education and a, and a good career and a good retirement and a good death. Something far more than that. And number two, influence people. And keep influencing them through every stage of your life. By the way, 14 is not too young. You can influence now. And when you're in your 70s and your 80s, your 90s, and if you should live to be 100, you can still be an influence. And then number three, invest for eternity. Invest for eternity. It's important that you understand where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Well, Jesus tells us where to store up treasure because in Matthew 6, 19, he says this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Why not lay up treasure on earth? Because Jesus says, well, that's where the moth and the rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is not against treasure, by the way, because he does say lay up treasure here, but he cares about, is it going to last? Are you actually going to have something to show? Because he says lay up treasures in heaven... Why? Because the moth can't touch it. The thieves can't touch it. Rust will never destroy it. It's safe. And it lasts for eternity. So, I'm just going to end there. Those are three excellent points. You, If you do those, you will have a life that is not wasted. You'll come to the end of your life and you say, Oh, praise God. God allowed me to do this. I tried to be faithful. I want my life to count. I want to come to it to the end of my life and say that that is a life well lived. And a man who, who understands the manhood vision and what it means to be a biblical man, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a provider. I'm going to be this lover. I'm going to, I'm going to behave like a man, and I'm going to be watchful, and I'm going to do these other things here, stand firm in the faith. I'm going to allow God to strengthen me in the inner man so I can do what he wants me to do. I'm gonna, I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to be like the real, ultimate man, Jesus Christ. And if that's your goal, that's a life, a life worth living. May God enable us to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this, this vision. May we not be distracted and and taken off course by the worldly vision and model of manhood. May we understand their, their opinions and their ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are not their thoughts. So, would you help us to be in your word, to know your word, to look to Christ, the real ultimate man, so we know what a man is. We know, we know the goal. We know uh, the boys here, they know when they get there that they are a man, and how they're to behave, and what they're to say, what they're to do, what their character is to be. The, the ladies in this room, may they, may they understand what a biblical man is. 
And so they would know how to pray for this, know how to help guide and steer and to, and to encourage the boys and the men to stand up and to be men. May we not get caught up in the, the feminist movement and the, all the other things we see in our world, but may we not love that world nor the things in that world. May we understand the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. May we understand that your will is eternal. It is what is ultimate, what is really important. May we seek after that. In Jesus' name we pray.